I'd just like to bring two things to your attention before we get to God's Word this morning. This week, um, as the... Can you just turn that down slightly? Thanks. This week, as the Central Baptist region, um, the leaders from the churches from Palmerston North, um, out to Danny Burke, down to Levin, Ratahi, we're all meeting together with um, the current leader of the, of the Baptist Union, Charles Hewlett, and we are discussing how we as a central region can work more closely with the Baptist Union as a whole um, because we don't actually have any regional leaders over us um, because no one from Auckland wants to come this far or from Wellington. We're in no man's land, believe it, middle of New Zealand the center of the universe. Um, so so it's, these are important discussions. Um, many churches, we've got a tenuous hold on what's happening in the Baptist Union, but we really are looking to the Lord and Charles' um, leadership in the Baptist Union to bring us back to God's Word at core as churches. Um, not so much to be together as a union, but to be together in God's Word and serving Him right across New Zealand. And so that's what we're really praying for. And so please pray for that meeting this week um, as Charles comes to see us here at Wangana East. Uh, we're meeting together here on Friday, oh, no, Wednesday. Wednesday this week. I've got to make morning tea, so I'd better make sure it's there. Um, so please pray for that meeting. That'll be really good. And then... I'd also like you to really look at that um, prayer list that we put in the bulletin. Um, really pray through that. Those people we've put on the prayer list there for a reason. We don't just think, oh, we need to fill the space here. We really leave people on there because we want you to pray for them. And so you might not know the details of everyone there, but please just pray for those people. The Lord knows the details. And let's bring them before His throne of grace. And He will meet their needs. And He will encourage. And as you pray for them, you will be encouraged. That's how prayer works. That's the amazing thing. And so we pray that the Lord would use that. And then um, for those of you visitors here this morning, um, as a church we've been going through the book of Deuteronomy as our series study. Um, I found it very encouraging. Um, and... So I would really encourage you, if, you, if you're wanting to uh, be among us, um, that you would go and possibly listen to those recordings on uh, the internet. They are easily downloaded. Just go to our website, www.wbc.org.nz, and there's sermon podcasts. You just either listen online or download and listen. And yes, it's my voice, but um, please listen to what God is doing there in His Word. And then you can be up to speed with what we are doing here every week. And then just with regards to that, next week we are going to be looking at the next section. So I'd ask you to read ahead again because we can't read chapters at a time in the service. And so next week we're looking at chapters 12 to chapter 16. That's quite a few. And um, yeah, good Dave. Um, and as we've been working through those chapters, it's amazing those themes that are coming out inside as you're reading those chapters, see if you can spot those themes, because that'll really help you to understand what's being said here on a Sunday morning. Let's just pray, and then we'll turn to God's Word.
Lord, our Heavenly Father, as we come to this time in our worship of you this morning, thank you that we've sung hymns of praise to you with truths that are timeless. And Lord, thank you for salvation. Thank you that you have made us white as snow, that you do take away our sin, that sin that we commit every single day, those knowing sins and even the sins we don't even realize. You've taken them away because of Jesus Christ. And Lord, may that stay with us. May we not hold on to some pet sins because we love them too much to bring them to the foot of the cross. But may we bring every sin to you and know that we can receive your, the freedom that you, only you can give. Thank you, Lord for saving grace. Thank you for forgiveness, which is always available to us. And Lord, we pray for those in our congregation that, that come every single Sunday that still do not know you. Lord, I pray for them, whether they're young or old. May they come to know that love which is available to them too from Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is God. Lord, do your work among us through your Spirit. Encourage us in our walks. Show us where our lives are being worked on through your Spirit. And use us in this week to put into practice what you teach us today. For your glory we pray. Amen. Well, let's turn to God's Word, Deuteronomy chapter 9. And I'm going to be reading you just a few excerpts from those chapters um, to kind of give us a little bit of focus this morning as we work through the section. So Deuteronomy chapter 9, first eight verses is the first section we'll read. Deuteronomy chapter 9, verses 1 to 8. And I'd really encourage you to follow along in your Bibles. Can you just show me, everyone with a Bible or an iPad or whatever you've got it? Good. Scroll up to chapter 9. Great. Bring your Bibles. Let's look at God's Word together. Verse 1 of chapter 9. Hear, O Israel... You are to, to cross over the Jordan today to go in to dispossess nations greater and mightier than yourselves, cities great and fortified up to heaven, a people great and tall, the sons of the Anakim, who you know, and of whom you have heard it said, who can stand before the sons of Anak? Know therefore today that he who goes before you as a consuming fire is the Lord your God. He will destroy them and subdue them before you. So you shall drive them out and make them perish quickly, as the Lord has promised you. Do not say in your heart, after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you. It is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. Whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out from before you. And that he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Know therefore that the Lord your God is not, going, is not giving you this good land to, to possess because of your righteousness. Do you hear the common theme? For you are a stubborn people. Remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. 
from the day you came out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Even at Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath, and the Lord was so angry with you that he was ready to destroy you. Now, let's go to chapter 10, and we're going to read verses 12 to 17. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good? Behold, the Lord your God, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart, and be not longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. And then to add to that, chapter 11 Verses 26 to 32, and we're just going to be referring to this section today. Chapter 11, verse 26 to 32. See, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today. And the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way that I'm commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it, you shall set the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. Are they not beyond the Jordan, west of the road, toward the going down of the sun in the land of the Canaanites who live in the Arabah, opposite Gilgal, beside the oak of Morah? For you are to cross over the Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And when you possess it and live in it, you shall be careful to do all the statutes and the rules that I am setting out before you today. I want to ask you a question as we start looking at these passages today. A very important question, and it's this one. Am I a good person? Are you a good person? How do you know? You see, it's not an objective assessment. So I'll show you. I've got a special tape measure here. Here it is. Good person. Fantastic. Oh, not that good person. Sorry about that. It's not me, it's this tape measure. Where's my grail? Oh. No, there's not much hope there. You see, when we measure sin, how do we do it? 
How do we know if we're good people? It's not an objective assessment. It's not measurable in an objective way that we can look at. It's a subjective assessment as humans. And what is it based on? My own standards? Am I a good person? How do I know that? What do I base that on? Do I decide if I'm good? Or maybe I look at society and society tells me whether I'm good. But the problem is with society, their standards keep changing. Go up and down. Getting worse. It's very variable. It's very trend-defined. You see, what we usually, the, the way we find out if we're a good person is we do the comparison test. It's called the look-around test. I look around me at others and I compare myself to them. So the police car goes by with sirens and lights flashing. They seem to be doing that quite often now. And um, I think, oh, someone's in trouble. I'm glad it's not me. They're bad people. Or I meet up with someone who, is, who looks the part. And I compare myself with them and I say, I'm a better person than that person. You see, we, we do that without even knowing. I pay my taxes. I'm a better person than those who don't. I try my best at my work. I'm not a layabout. And then I look around me in society and I see all these people hanging around all day. I'm better than them. But what does God say? And we're going to look at that this morning. You see, Moses had just warned the people of Israel that as they were going into the land of Canaan, they were about to go in, that when they got into the, the good land of Canaan, and when God had conquered these nations before them, they would live a really good life. And there was a danger there. There was a danger there that it would go to their heads, that they would think they had achieved it. But God was going to test them, and he was going to put them through harder times too. And there the danger was, would they recognize God's hand on them, changing them to be a people fit to be his people? And in the good times, the test was, would they give God the honor and the glory for their goodness? But now there's a different test and a different lesson that the Lord wants to address with Israel through his servant Moses. And that is to tell the nation, watch out for the pride of comparison. Watch out for the pride of comparison. How is that going to happen? Well, we see that in verses 1 to 5 of chapter 9. As they're about to cross over into the Jordan, they, the Lord says, I'm going to dispossess the nations before you. Who, who am I? I'm the one who's the consuming fire. I'm going to go ahead of you, Israel, and I, as consuming fire, will dispossess the nation in this country and give it to you. I'm going to be doing it. And look at the, the language used here. He's going to destroy the fearsome Canaanites. Nations greater, mightier, people great and tall, sons of Anakim, giants, and they were renowned. And so there's this heightened language around. Why? Because God wanted to show them how great he is and what he was going to do. But God had promised to go before Israel like this devouring fire. 
and he would destroy this nation suddenly and dispossess them. And then he warns them, and we know what was going on in their hearts because it's in God's word. Because the warning is repeated three times to the nation through Moses. He's saying to them, the people in their hearts are saying, God's going to fight for us. We must be the good guys against those evil guys, the Canaanites. It's back to cops and robbers. Back to, in the un-PC days, cowboys and Indians. Someone was always good, someone was always bad. Someone was always chasing the other one. You see, in their hearts, they, were, they had this attitude of, we are the good ones, they are the bad ones. How do I know that? Verse 4 says, Do not say in your heart, after the Lord has thrust them out, it is because of my righteousness. And then he repeats it, verse 5, Don't say, it's because of your righteousness. Verse 6, repetition again. I'm not giving this good land to, to you to possess because of your righteousness. You are a stubborn people. And so we've got to look at this. So let's look at this word righteousness. The word righteous is a legal word, firstly. It's a legal word, and the word is sadiq. It means to be in the right. You are righteous. You are in the right, legally. And then there's the opposite of that, the word rasa, which is in the wrong. You are unrighteous. Okay, so you'd stand before the judge, he'd listen to your case, and then he would make a pronouncement. You are sadiq. You are in the right. Go free. Or you are rasa. You are unrighteous. Here's your punishment. You see the difference? It's a legal term. And so God says to the nation, don't say that you're getting this land because you are sadiq, because you are, are righteous. And the nations are unrighteous, rasa. Or because the nations are less righteous than you. Yes, they are wicked, and that's why I'm going to punish them. But it's not for you to say they are wicked. Don't compare yourself to them. I am the reason I am giving you this land. It's not your righteousness. Because I made a promise to your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's why I'm giving you this land. It's about my faithfulness, not your righteousness. You get it? That's what he's saying to the nation. It's not about you. It's about my goodness. It's not about your goodness. It's about my faithfulness, says the Lord. So don't get big heads. And then he spells it out for them, as the Lord always does in our lives. He makes it really clear to them. He says, you are actually, Israel, if truth be told, you've been a hard-necked and rebellious people ever since I've rescued you from Egypt. There's the truth. There's the clear picture to you. Israel, if Moses hadn't continually intervened on your behalf, I, the consuming fire, the one who's going to consume the Canaanites, I would have consumed you already. Why? Because I'm a holy God and you're a sinful people. My holiness doesn't change. Your sin is ever before me. And then he, he mentions an incident which I'm sure they'd rather forgotten about. 
the golden calf. And if you want to read about the golden calf, it's really, really important that you look at this one, Exodus chapter 32, because a lot of the Old Testament revolves around what happened there. The golden calf, Exodus chapter 32, and I'm going to just read a few verses from there because we need to take note of it. Exodus 32, verses 1 to 6. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, now Moses up on the mountain getting God's word from them, from him, his law for the people. So when they see, saw that he had been delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron, he was supposed to be their high priest, and said to him, Get up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what's become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool, and he made a golden calf. So he did it. And, he, and they said, and they said to, Aaron, to the people, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. Do you see how he makes this idol worship religious? He tries to put a, if we put it in today's terms, he tries to put a Christian spin on it. He builds an altar in front of this, this um, golden calf. Verse 6, And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now that word play is for sexual play. They were taking to the ways of the nations around them. Because that was part of the way the nations celebrated their gods. Do you see where the people have gone? Moses is still up the mountain receiving the law of God and they are worshipping idols. No wonder God says you're a hard-necked, rebellious nation. The Lord says, even your high priest had to be rescued. Israel, are you listening to me? Do you remember what came about because of that? You were breaking loose, says Scripture. In other words, they were running riot. Their morals were loosed before the Lord's. And what did the Lord do to them? Did he leave it at that? Did he just say, oh well, Moses is taking a bit long. I'll give him it this time. No, he slaughtered 3,000 men that day. And then the rest, he brought a plague on them. You see, they were a rebellious people. They were a hard-necked people. And he reminds them of this. Chapter 9, verse 24 of Deuteronomy. This damning summary of who Israel is he said, you've been, a, you've been rebellious against the Lord as long as he has known you. Well, before we point too many fingers at them, we need to remember who we are. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and 12 says, There is no one righteous, no, not one. All have turned aside and worshipped 
something which is not God. You see, we are in the same boat. And so Israel, says the Lord, now that I've shown you who you were and who you are, will you still define righteous? You've got no right to even try to define who is righteous and who isn't. You've proved that you're not righteous. Rather, says the Lord, I define who is righteous and who is unrighteous. I'm the only one who's completely holy and righteous. Righteousness is to be measured against the perfect righteousness of God himself and his standards of holiness, the Ten Commandments. You have proved to be unrighteous towards me, just like these Canaanites who you've labeled as unrighteous. And what should their response have been before the Lord? Just as in the time of the golden calf, they were to be humble before the Lord. They were to plead for forgiveness and they were to ask for his mercy. You see, the people had broken God's law and Moses had prayed for mercy on their behalf. And as their representative before God, he had confessed their guilt and pleaded for mercy. And God, as that same devouring fire who was now going to destroy the Canaanites, had been merciful to them and not destroyed his nation. He won't change his standards because he's a completely holy God. If God changes his stands of holiness, he is not God. And so God heard their confessions and he forgave them and that relationship was restored for a little while. And so God reminds him in chapter 10, verse 12 to 22, that I am more gracious than you. The Lord says, I'm giving you this land, even though you're a stubborn people. Why am I giving you this land? Because of my love for you, because of my forgiveness held out to you. And if your faith is in me as my people, then I declare you righteous, legal term. I, as the Lord, say, you are righteous if your faith is in me. He proclaims us right before him. And now here's your second term for the day. When God declares us righteous, we are then justified. Woo, big words in this church. Justified. What does that mean? In our men's group, we were discussing this in Galatians. Same time as this has come up. Amazing. Justified. Here's an easy way. Just as if I had never sinned. Justified. Got it? When God says you are righteous legally, then we are just in His sight. He declares us accepted and forgiven by Him. The Apostle Paul would put a big word on that later. In the New Testament, in Romans chapter 3, verse 21 to 30, he'd call it justification by faith. And here it is, way back here, in Deuteronomy. Isn't that beautiful? Don't ever push aside the Old Testament and not read it and think it's only in the New Testament I'm supposed to read. God's word is here in totality. Read it. There's no new theology. It's all tied up in the whole Bible. Justification by faith. And so why does God justify and make righteous His people? Why did He bring them out of Egypt with a mighty hand? Why do you redeem them from slavery? 
You see, Israel was morally no better than any of the other nations around them. They deserved no special goodness and favor. It was all because of God's grace to them. His undeserved love and mercy. There's your third term for today. Grace. Undeserved mercy and love to you. We don't deserve what comes our way from God. We deserve the opposite. God shows us grace. He showed his nation grace when they were rebellious, hard-necked people. He would forgive them, show them grace because of who he was, not who they were. And so why were they being given this land of Canaan? It was because of Yahweh, the God of gods, his immense and his gracious love to a people who were unlovely, to a people who were stubborn, to a people who were unworthy of that love. And the same grace extends to you and I 3,000 years later to people who are unlovely, to a people who are unworthy, to people who do not deserve His love because we are stubborn too. Right? Maybe it's just my life. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 and 8. Listen to these words. Romans chapter 5. Verse 6 to 8. Here's God's grace to you and I. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now if that's not grace, there is no grace. We didn't want to know about God. And He brought us to Him. He gave us hearts that then recognized who He is. And then He gave us the faith to believe in Him. It's all of grace. None of us. Let's not compare ourselves to anyone. There we go before God found me. Yes, when you look at someone who's being taken away the, by the police, when you see those wanted pictures, the police are looking for this person in the Waikato. Don't ever think I'm better than them. But by the grace of God go I. I would have been like that. It's all of God, none of us. And so righteousness today doesn't mean we don't sin. Israel sinned. Righteousness today means God forgives that sin. And he declares us forgiven and righteous. Our sins are dealt with through the blood of Jesus Christ. And for the Israelites, the same applied, even though they lived before the time of Jesus Christ. Through their faith, their sins were also paid for, atoned for by sacrifice of blood of bulls and goats and sheep. Which pointed to the later death of Jesus Christ on the cross. God's grace on display right through History, Old Testament, New Testament. His grace on display. And then very lastly now, two, and I'm just going to glance over these, next, these last two points because we are going to come back to these later in the book of Deuteronomy. But what were the people to do in response to Yahweh's grace to them? What were they to do? Verse 16. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. Now, physical circumcision, I'm not going to explain much. 
I'll show you what's used. One of these. A knife. Physical mutilation of the human body. Why? To show that I come under the, gov the, the covenant of God Almighty in the time of Abraham. It was to show that they come in under submission to the covenant God made to Abraham. Circumcision of the heart. We'll come to these things again later. This is a summary of Levitic Leviticus chapter 26, which we haven't got time to go to now, where God says, if you confess your iniquity before me, if your heart is humbled before me, if you make amends for iniquity, in other words, if you change your ways before you, before me, if you circumcise your heart before me, then I will be your God and I will forgive you. Making amends for your sin does not mean you've got to pay penance, by the way. It doesn't mean you've got to whip yourself. Make life hard for yourself so that God will listen and forgive you. You don't have to do that. Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. All you need to do is bow your knee and come before Him, and confess your sin to Him. He died so that you could live. He died so that your sin could get taken away. It's all of Christ. You don't and you can't pay for your sin. But come and confess your sin before Him. Humble your heart before God, and turn your way of living before Him. And He will help you in that. And that is circumcising your heart. And then, no more stubbornness, just like Israel, because we're all stubborn before the Lord. And then lastly, the whole section in chapter 11 on blessings and curses, and we're going to look again at that in the very last chapter of Deuteronomy, so I'm only going to mention it shortly here. How does blessing and curses work? It's fairly simple, but it's more difficult. Again, Leviticus chapter 26 outlines blessings and curses before the people. And God made a list of blessings if they would listen to Him and curses if they would not listen to Him. And it was part of normal contracts that were signed those days. Kings, if they made an agreement with another nation, would say, if you, if you keep this agreement, these will be blessings on you. If you break this agreement, these will be the curses on you. It was normal part of contract those days. And so here too, God brings them blessings for obedience. Verses 14 to 17 is where you'll read about them. And if you disobey me, says the Lord, curses will come on you. And he names them. Verses 16 to 17 and Leviticus 26. They knew what was being spoken about. And then to remind them, Deuteronomy 11 verse 29, the Lord says to them, When you go into the land of Canaan, once I vanquish those nations, you will go through a very, very specific landmark. Two hills standing opposite each other. And you are going to enter into the land of Canaan between these two hills. The one is called Mount Gerizim. The other is called Mount Ebal. Mount Gerizim will be the Mount of Blessing. And you will build an altar on it. And Mount Ebal will be the, the Mount of Curses. And you will remember that I, the Lord your God, am a gracious God. I forgive your sins if you will come and confess your iniquity before me. And so there was their biggest life landmark when they entered Canaan. 
God has conquered these nations. It's not about us. It's about His grace to us. Here we go in between these two hills. And it's a choice we make now. We either obey God and receive His blessings. Or we disobey Him. And His curses will come down on us. More about that later when we come to those passages. So what do we do with these, with these uh, three chapters this, after, this morning? Sorry, I want to ask you a question again. Back to my first one. Are you a good person? Says who? Says who? Don't say I'm better than someone else. Or don't say I deserve better because. Don't you find yourself doing that? You go through a hard time in life, right? Something's happening to you. And you say, but I deserve better because. Instantly, you've done this comparison thing. I would plead with you this morning, place your righteousness under the grace of God. And let God be the one to declare you righteous. Titus chapter 3 verse 3 to 7 says this. I want to read this to you. Titus chapter 3 verse 3 to 7. Listen to what it says. Just find my place here. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. There lies the grace of God in front of us. Put yourself under that grace. Don't compare yourself with others and think I am right before God. So what does the Lord require of you? Secondly, what does He require of you and I? Chapter 10 verse 12 of Deuteronomy says, Fear the Lord your God. Have that reverence for who God is. Yahweh, the Almighty God. Fear the Lord your God. Walk in all His ways. Let that fear be translated into your feet. Walk before the Lord your God. Love Him with your heart. Serve the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. And observe the Lord's commands and decrees. Look at them. Ponder on them. And make yourself come in underneath them. Listen to what God is saying. What does that look like, thirdly? Each day is a decision. Each day when you get up, you look in the mirror, someone's blinking at you in that mirror, it's you. The Lord's given you another day. Make a decision there. Lord, I commit myself to you, Yahweh, today. Renew me today. I choose to serve Jesus Christ in every single thing I do. I choose to submit every thought I have to Jesus Christ. I choose to take captive every thought that leads me away from you and to put it at the feet of Jesus Christ. Lord, I walk between those hills. Help me today. I choose life. It starts with a daily decision before the and then lastly, the Lord says this, and listen to this warning. 
from Leviticus chapter 26. The Lord says this, if you walk contrary to me, I will walk contrary to you. Now that is a frightening thought. Would you have almighty God walking contrary to you because you walk contrary to him? You know what the word contrary means from the younger people? It means to walk in a way that isn't right before the Lord. To walk against the way that he said you must walk. The Lord warns us here, if you, if you choose daily to walk in a way which he says you mustn't walk in, then he will come up against you. Do you want Almighty God up against you? When you go through your life, you find things continually going wrong in your life all the time. Do you find yourself spiritually listless? Do you find yourself out of touch with God? Do you find yourself angry at life? Maybe it's because your walk is contrary to the Lord and He is walking contrary to you to bring you back to Himself, to show you His grace. If you would only open your ears and hear what God is saying to you, if only you would make that go to your feet, turn around 180 degrees and walk away from what you're doing and walk back to Almighty God, He will bless you again. Don't Choose his curses on you. May his blessing rest on you. And blessing comes with obedience. Our youth today need to hear this. We're cutting corners left and right with the way God says we must live before him. We think we can live lives our own way, with our own rules. God says, walk in my ways. And I will bless you, but walk contrary to me, and I will bring my hand on you, because I love you. I will not let you go if you mind. I will bring you back to me, but there will be pain involved. I love you. I will discipline you, and then you will be mine. Listen to me, says the Lord. Circumcise the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. Walk in His ways. His grace is sufficient. For you in every circumstance. Walk in his grace. Amen. Lord our heavenly father. We, we see these lessons to Israel. And we're tempted to just read it as a history book. And stuff that happened to them. But Lord. It should be echoing in our lives too. Because every day we choose to do what is not right before you. We choose to not honor your name so many times. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for our stubborn hearts. Forgive us for our rebelliousness even in the face of your grace. Lord, give us soft hearts again. Through your spirit. Show us those areas in our hearts where we're holding out against you. Lord, may we surrender every part of our lives to you. And may that in turn help our feet to go in the way which honors the name of Jesus Christ. Because the world is watching the church. The world is watching us as believers. And when they see us being disobedient, your name is brought into disrepute. Help us to show the grace of God 
through our obedience daily. Help us to choose to serve Christ because you give us your unfettered grace.